0: And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today, we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know. So you're in for one hell of a ride. But today, I just have to uh, do the adverts. And then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the Immortals' plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice, should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave. As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner, Fight for the world's survival rest with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine cri- refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book it's uh, one of her Roman British crime series. Which was written under her maiden name, all editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing and now, without further ado, let's get you
1: to the guests. welcome back to the book and life
0: podcast guys and before we go any further i have to say this is an incredible guest we've got on today he is another wrestling writer so you know the pool of us is very small so i am delighted to have him on today and you're going to learn a lot from this um anybody who loves wrestling and loves writing this is definitely an episode for you so without further ado everyone please welcome steve pearson
2: Hello, oh, thank you, my dear. It's nice to do an interview where there's not a uh, lawyer present for once. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I, have, that,
2: I'm, I'm I have that
0: feeling like every time I do one of these kind of <laughs> sit-downs, I'm like, oh, God, you know, we're going to discuss through the, the world of wrestling. Yeah. Where's my lawyer's speed down number again? <laughs> That's <the> one. <laughs> so tell us about your book, and and how did you end up writing it?
2: Oh, well, it's... um. I mean, I've got two books out now. One's real in Memphis, the original one of the Wrestling Noir Saga. Second book's Real in Dallas. Um, there's 52 states, so I'll just keep going until my fingers drop off or i just go <laughs> completely brain dead.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I'm actually planning on writing another eight books on top of this, so it's kind of my magnum opus, so to speak. But uh, for me, it was like, I first started watching in about 1990. And when I was it was like, I remember just watching and sort of seeing... I, example, but I, remember he's like, I remember just seeing Bam Bam Bigelow one time. And for newer viewers, it was a 400 pound man with tattoos all over his head, missing teeth, and just looked like one angry big bastard. And um, I remember just sort of watching him and just sort of, he'd come out for a match. He'd beat his opponent, usually be a squash match. So it'd be done in like two or three minutes. Yeah. He'd get his arm raised and he'd walk backstage. And I sort of think, well, what does a guy like that who looks like that and acts like that? And what does a guy like that do? Because my, my little brain just couldn't. You know, I was, I was about 10 years old time, but my brain just couldn't process the fact that this guy would go back there, then go pay some bills and, you know, talk to his wife, rent a car, etc. My, my brain was just, my brain would think this guy was like sort of just some like prisoner or convict or serial killer they released for a day to go and beat someone up just to get out of his system. You know, it's like I couldn't process being younger that certain people were ordinary people that just had ordinary lives and did ordinary things like wrestlers did and wrestled. So it kind of became sort of a angle there for me to sort of process and think, well, who are these people? What do they do? What is their life? Why are they the way they are? And that kind of become the backdrop for, um, for this book stuff for me, because
1: yeah,
2: a lot of times, especially in that particular era of wrestling, uh, these people were pretty unusual characters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And had a very, um, very unusual occupation, very unusual outlook on life, and I just sat and thought, well, bearing that in mind, what could be, what could be a better, what could be a better environment to write about, and what could be a, a better basis for characters to write about?
1: I
0: agree. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, because wrestling to everybody is different, and everything is different, so sometimes it's good to have. When you're bringing your own perspective to the table, because it can almost generate better ideas, generate better concepts um, and have that kind of Ooh, moment. Um yeah. I think that's really awesome to hear. And especially we need more fictional writers in wrestling to keep wrestling as mm-hmm. current as it can be and to keep it moving forward so it doesn't stagnate and it doesn't stall. Um, mm. especially now that we're seeing the returns of indie to promotions starting to pop up again, and mm. especially after COVID when so many of them went bankrupt. I think it's yeah, it's really important. Yeah. And uh, it's good to see that that ball is in a way still rolling forwards.
2: Sure. it's. Uh, I mean, with any form of uh, transgressive fiction, it's a case of you're always pushing forward and building characters and pushing ideas forward. So it's really important these days that more people more people write and it's one of these things. Um if you look at AI these days, that writing books for you, it's like, Oh come on, no, just give me something real, give me something, me, <laughs> give me something authentic, no, give me something intangible, you know. It's like I'll, I'll go on chat GP at times and yeah. I'll sort of like I'll put like a chapter I'll put in and say, uh I'll just like write rewrite this for me or or finish this for me and it'll just be the most sappy, saccharily sweet, sort of predictable, tired thing ever. And i think, like, Right, okay. Yeah. I'm definitely not writing that so I'm definitely on the right track because I, I wouldn't have even considered these things <laughs> but it's things like that that throw me off a little bit to be honest because I've got to keep up yeah. with times and keep up with technology but sometimes it's like Oof, this isn't this isn't good
0: yeah I know yeah I've been there like because I got given a free pass to try out AI generates um, writing and it was just the weirdest experience of my life mm. really was I was like what am I doing and You know, am I doing this right? You know, you end up completely questioning yourself right at the back door, and you're like, "What am I doing? What am I doing?" So you have to almost kind of take a a, a step back and look at it. And uh, some of the funniest things I've actually heard on a a wrestling podcast was somebody sent in fake podcast scripts to or AI generated podcast scripts based off of the podcast that's already been done, and they were awful when you read them. Like when you heard the the wrestlers reading them, it was hilarious how bad they were. Um, and I I just think AI isn't at that point where yeah. it can really threaten the writing world. It's getting there, but it's not there yet. And no. I think you kind of have to keep that in mind, especially when strikes are going no. on and when the writing industry's changing as sure. a whole.
2: And it's not like Money Night like Raw's Shakespeare or nothing, is it? It's very base anyway to begin with. So yeah. if you can't even keep up to that standard, then I don't think we need to worry about AI just yet, so
0: No, I don't think so either. I think it may be five, ten years' time, yeah. But not at this specific moment in time, no.
1: No, I wouldn't have thought. So,
0: so how did you get into writing? What was your your journey uh, into the world of writing?
2: Well uh, I had a well, it's the it's the thing, you know, you get writers that say, Oh, I had a dark period, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, I had a I had a black period in my life and a dark period and that and it's like you know it's, Bad things happen to people, but you know, um, I've walked in some very eclectic circles, and I, I, I spoke to someone recently who would come back from Afghanistan and had seen yeah. all sorts of horrible things. I won't even mention, you know. And it's like sort of you listen to people like that, and it's like, well, this guy's really been in, you know, in, in the weeds. I'm just some guy writing books, basically. But I, I had a period where um, I didn't really go out much, basically. You know, I had a bit of a yeah. bit of depressive period, and all I did was sort of read. Because I, I, I was in a really bad way to the point where, if the if the le- if the electric went off, I wouldn't I wouldn't put money on it. I'd just sort of sit there in the dark. So yeah. I was in a real bad way with things. But all i used to do was read, and uh, like I say, charity shops would just had, like an endless resource of books, basically that people were throwing out or weren't interested in. And I just read a multitude of books in like a year long period. And I remember reading um, uh, Let the Right One In by a. John Linske. And uh, not only was it just, not only was it a really, really good read, but it was very, his writing was very expressive and it was very, um, very emotive. And it was just so very, something about it, it was something about it just, without some disparity, quite, it just seemed easy. You know, he, he, he had a, a style that sort of like, it was very easy and very, uh, very fluid. And I sat and thought, I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could do that, you know, so you, you just start writing, you know, you write a paragraph, then you write a chapter, and then before you know it, you're, you're sort of cooking, basically. And it's like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad, you know. also well, I'm a big fan of his his work. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of other great, great authors out there of a similar sort of style, you know. Um, and I just sort of studied them, and it's like, right, well, it's not a case of just copying people, is it? It's kind of taking what they do, being inspired by it, and then adding your own sort of take and your own spin on things. Which yeah. is exactly what I did. So I think it sort of came there the ideas wise. Like I say, it's um in the previous era of wrestling, most of the people were very challenging, we'll say. They're very very, very unique yeah. people and they're in a very unique sort of world. So yeah. you kinda of look at it and just think, Well, this whole thing as a backdrop
1: mm-hmm.
2: is kind of a blank canvas for me and it's there's not a lot of wrestling uh, fiction writers anyway, so it's like yeah. I sort of looked at well, I can't really be accused of plagiarizing anything or stealing or borrowing or pilfering. So it's a case of, well, this is kind of like my own little platform to go with. So I kind of went from there, really.
0: That's an interesting story, because a lot of writers, like for me, I got I kind of got pulled into it through another writer, you know, just a, a contest. Somebody dared me to do the writing contest in the local library, and, and I got pulled in that way. And I was hmm. just like, before I knew it, I was... In publishing, and I was publishing novels, and I was like, "What the hell? when did this all happen? You know, in the space of approximately two years, I'd already put a book out, and I was just like, "This is <clears throat> insane um so it's it's nice to hear that there's different stories on how you got into it. I mean, mine's obviously is <clears throat> a bit different because i I got dared and uh, ended up going through a conversation with a, an actual published author who was famous for children's books and uh getting sort of sucked into the world that way but it is good so what made you sort of decide wrestling and fiction needs to come together i need to write this particular series of eight
2: you know, it's um if you look at, i mean the, the historical period i'm covering is 1979 to say 1989 yeah and that was it that was just a decade of absolute change for, for wrestling from it going from being a regional thing where you had people in their own little sort of areas to then being a big, massive TV player and a powerhouse. And it's like, if you look at from like 1979, there would have been like big promotion wise, there would have been like one in nearly every state. And then by the end, by 1989, there's probably about three places running Mm -hmm. and running on a big monetary, uh, regular basis. So I just sat and thought, well, that's, you know, that's like sort of, that's like the War of the Roses or something. It's like, you know, it's like, well, it's like Game of Thrones. It's like by the end, it's like well, there's, there's there's one government left, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And previously there was like five kings, six kings, whatever, you know, it was like more kings than a bloody pack of cards. So it's like you sort of, if you brought, if you wind it down from there, you just sat and think that's definitely the period you want to cover. And also, because I'm a massive technophobe and stuff, uh I wouldn't want to cover today's wrestling because there's all these mobile phones and TMZ and all the other yeah. stuff, you know, and it's impossible to keep things secretive now. So I thought you kind of look at the cultural backdrop.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And... I,
0: would, I, would, I'd say, I would say it's not hard to keep kayfabe nowadays. Mm. I think there is a, a degree of kayfabe, but I think that's more to do with the performers themselves and less yeah. to do with the pro. The actual physical right.
2: performancing. yeah. It's today, of
0: their
2: lives. today it's more a case of talent of trying to protect their brand, yeah. So they don't look like bad people and get cancelled on Twitter or get abused or whatever. As opposed to back mm-hmm. then, where it's a case of, well, we need to protect, protect who we are, this so seems, that people yeah. will think that we hate each other, so we can make money and, you know, make a living here. So it's a very different, very different world now.
0: It is. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. And it's, it's strange for me to see it that way now mm. because I've almost been that little fan growing up watching it. And then to sort of be kind of behind the curtain a little bit is very unnerving because you, you really do want to believe in the magic. You really do want to mm. believe in the, the world they've created. So when you mm. pull that curtain back and you're standing behind it, it, you kind of can't do that anymore. It's. You mm. totally lose who you are. You totally lose your that wonderment that you get when it, when you are involved with it.
2: Mm. Well, I'll say it can be very humbling that I find because it's yes. you are sort of, just seeing these people as regular people, and at the end of the show, they get in a rental car or a not so glamorous car and just drive off home or drive off to the next show. You know, and it's like again to me in my head, Bam Bam Biglow Bam Bam Bigelow, for example, would have been driving some great big motorcycle and going to a bar and battering people yeah you know and you don't sort of when you realize that's probably not what you did we may have done now i don't know never met the fellow but when you, you realize that that's sort of not what these people are it's like oh huh, okay it's a bit humbling but you know it is what yeah, it is I,
0: I, I think that's good and i think that's a very interesting way of looking at it. you know for me like i kind of just saw them as they went home and that was you know they had a fancy house and they went home and we lived like mm. that, I didn't really underas- understand the aspects of the pay system or no. the the way it's put together in, in that sense. Um, and I think that's a good thing and a bad thing.
1: Mm.
0: Because in my head when I met these people, it was almost as if I had a preconception of who they were. And the ones that I had Bad preconceptions about were actually the nicest, and yeah, that yeah. totally threw
2: me a little too. Yeah, it's I remember when I was a kid, ah, uh, I think it was about 1992. Uh, PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they had a feature on Jacques Rougeau, who was, I right. think, turning babyface in Canada, but not on TV as a Mountie. And it was one of those sort of weird things because PWI over here was always about six weeks out, so it was like all oh, hang on is this what's happening here, you know but I remember just sort of seeing this article on Jacques Rougeau and you saw his wife and kids and I thought what the Mountie what the Mountie's got a girlfriend he's got a, he's married he's got children who would have him he's an asshole you know so it's like when you're kind of young you kind of have that sort of thinking that you know the yeah, bad people on tv are bad yeah. people in real life yeah and the good people are lovely people you know and you just don't see it any other way when you're young
0: so how did you end up watching wrestling I know you mentioned that your dad brought wrestling home but how do you think that wrestling kind of got sucked into your family aspect?
2: Well, the sad thing was, was um, I was told up front that it was um, a work, which looking back now, oh. I really wish my parents would have kept that one quiet so I could have a bit more imagination there, you know, a bit more, mm-hmm. a bit more realism. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, my father worked at Butlin's here down in Essex. And um, he was friends with every single, he was a very friendly guy, my dad. Very, very good guy, very mm-hmm. sociable. And he was forever sort of... Um, he knew all the red coats, you know, he knew all the wrestlers that came through. And I remember yeah. vaguely remember Bits and Bobs. But I remember just being absolutely bloody terrified of giant haystacks. Because obviously I was doing <laughs> that two or three at a time, and he was a monster of a man. You know, and it's like he'd yeah. have to he'd come through the door and he'd come in sideways, you know, breathing in. You know. And it's yeah. just um that would have been my earliest uh memory of it. But British wrestling and American wrestling are obviously two very different things, especially back in the eighties. Yeah,
1: they are. Yeah.
2: But I just remember my mum would see my dad bringing them back in, and it'd be like, right, hide, hide the food, you know, lock the (laughs) cupboard, because those two boys could bloody eat. So.
0: Well, I could imagine. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Well, for me, it was. I kind of had that lucky experience where I met wrestlers when I was on the road, so it wasn't. You almost had that kind of separation and that kind of, ah, uh, you know, because you could go up to your room and just close your door and lock and mm. the world out for a little bit. Um, and that was, that was the highlight of me going from that small girl living in a very small town to being the girl who was at a wrestling event as a, yeah. as somebody that was involved in it and mm. was changing, changing people's lives and giving, giving them something of a huge
2: opportunity
1: hmm.
2: it's, uh, like I remember work, when I worked in professional wrestling in the uh, yeah. FWA the Frontier Wrestling Alliance the blueprint for the future of British wrestling which is such a horrible mouthful don't know what they went with that but anyway I remember working yeah. them, and it was like you'd see people that you'd seen on TV coming in and they were just they they were more it's like, they, they, you look back now and you think well this, this is just like an indie wrestler but at yeah. that point, that guy had been on TV for years for me, so it was like, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah. well, here's Jerry Lynn, you know, a guy who should have been way bigger, a star than I, than, than, than he ever did become.
0: I would to agree with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One well, of my favorite. What a lovely man. What, what a genuinely nice person he is. Yeah. Um, but I remember just sort of seeing him and just like walking past him in the hallway and just thinking, shit, you know, what do I do? Do I say hello or what do I do? And it was, I remember, I remember one time we were in a bar afterwards with him. And he was getting a bit cranky because yeah. everyone had talked about nothing but wrestling. And it was a case of sort of like, guys, can we talk about something else for five minutes? Dude, come on. And I remember sort of talking yeah. to him just like about the weather or England or something or just, you know. Something. And everyone sort of like looking at me thinking, who's this guy? Who's he thinking? You know, it's not my first night there. It's like, this guy's taking Jerry away from us. You know, he's talking to him about real things. We don't know what to say because we're so in that wrestling bubble. We don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's,
0: it's a crazy how. Even I did that, like I went mm. down to the bar and I would talk about anything but wrestling because I yeah. knew from other friends that was a, a no go, yeah, and well, they, I'm yeah. glad I knew that I'm so glad I knew that
2: yeah you know, they've they've heard about it quite a few times, you know, yeah, uh that day, so it's like you know just talk, just talk I find most of the time and I'm not a football fan by any style, yeah. I find if you just get one real sports. They're fine. You can just talk talk for hours about with most wrestlers about real sports and stuff, yeah. or these days video games or whatever. So, yeah,
0: that's true. So, what's the, your ambition for the series? Where do you where would you love to see it? Where would you love to see it? Go? Um,
2: well, um, I saw a there was a wrestling show called Hills on recently. Yeah, and it was good, but a bit. I don't know. It's sort of it was fine. I think it was the first straight wrestling drama of its kind yeah to come on tv because we had glow before that but glow was a bit of a comedy one and sadly didn't yeah. last that long um but i quite enjoyed that but so sort of like i thought i'm sitting there watching it and i'm just sort of thinking to myself man you know uh i wouldn't have done that i would have done this differently i not you know you get in that sort of mindset so you sort of have yeah. to kind of separate that but it's like in my head it's like sort of you get um so when you make a character you kind of have to sort of visualize them and how they talk and everything and it's like sort of in my head i sort of kind of i've already i've already got actors in mind as to who'd play who basically in my head the thing plays out like a movie anyway so yeah i would love to have some great big soprano style epic you know or some big game of thrones style monolithic monstrous yeah. epic down the line eventually but it's the thing um i'm currently looking at audiobooks, but I don't want to mention any wrestlers by name because that's unprofessional and kind of shitty, but I've had yeah, some course. wrestlers who seem to cite... T- I, mean, I don't know. I think I think they see Twitter numbers or, or whatever. I think they seem to think, oh, we must have some money, basically. So they seem to cite some very yeah,
1: lofty course.
2: prices or lofty fees to do audio work for you. So it's like, okay, I'm just a working man, you know? So Yeah, no, that it, makes you know.
0: sense. I mean, we had the same uh, issue when we did Summer of Him. And I said, well, yeah. I don't want a wrestler. And they were like, oh, but wouldn't that be all? No, I just get two actors and make it, and it's supposed to be coming out in a few months' time. And Because I did it like that, and I found actors willing to do it for the correct price for the, the publisher, yeah. it, did, yeah. it did make a huge difference.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't also, I don't want to disparage anyone or anything, but I had a, I've had comic book um, artists uh, take a keen interest and then do like half a page, you know, do, do more or less stick men, basically with a little bit of coloring and then basically put their hand out and say, you know, money, please. And it's like, Oh, come on. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. Give me something here worth something and I'll consider it. But it's bit I'd, I'd like, it's it, when, when it's just sort of me writing in the wee hours of the morning with blue tack covering clocks, I don't know the time. Mm-hmm. it's fine basically it's a case of right well that's not costing me anything i can do that. that's fine but the minute you start getting other people involved in these projects it's like sort of you know it's like uh obviously you need to offer them something so if you're offering them money generally i find they kind of want big sums of
1: yeah you
2: know in effort to work with you basically but it's not not necessarily money it's the problem it's it's m- more or less of not not everyone's going to prioritise what you're doing or get behind your idea or believe in what you're doing 100% to the same level that you are. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: if there's no money involved, you're kind of sort of on a wing and a prayer hoping that they're interested and, uh, you know, indoctrinated into doing a good service for you, basically. So yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to – I'm like a one-man band. I'm trying to play every instrument at once here, so. you know, with varying degrees of success and failure so it's like again if if anyone's happy to get involved and talk then please please do so i'm very easy to find so
0: yeah i mean that's really good and i think for for you know people that are out there listening and stuff it's it's very difficult to find people that will promote your stuff to sort of niche audiences and this is a very niche audience and i think I'm lucky because I have Joe to bash ideas off of and to go, "Ah, I got this far and now I'm stuck. What do I do?
1: Um,
0: If I didn't have that support, I very much doubt that there would be a Marie's book series or any of the book spinoffs really, because in my head it's like, Oh, you know, this is going to take me forever. 64 books is a long time. But then when (laughs) you start actually getting into it and you start getting to the actual writing, you're like, Oh, this is what it feels like. But then you're also mm. kinda of at the same time going, Oh god, I know what this feels like, you know, that mm. kind of remembrance, so to speak. So for you, what have you had a character that would you say is stuck with you that you haven't quite been able to shake yet?
2: Um kind of, um well, all of them in a way, but you know, it's um It's it's kinda of like sort of it's like with tv shows you've got like you've got like an ensemble tv show you've got like your favorite character
1: yeah
2: and you've got ones that you don't like so much and you kind of have to sort of mentally share time with them and not sort of prioritize one over the other but obviously being in control you can obviously change things and the wonderful thing with wrestling is you can a guy can change a gimmick or you know change his entire well a lot of time change your entire personality and, and idealism based on that so there's a lot you can do with it but it's um yeah. The second book, uh Real in Dallas, I sort of I got like i got like a two a brother tag team, but it's well, uh, two brothers and it's like I just remember I remember just sort of a I saw a documentary on the Macho Man and um Ah
1: great
2: one of my favourites and it's like sort of, yeah. I just sort of, I just sort of looked at it you you had him and Lenny Poffo, the genius, yeah both great in their own right. Yeah. One became a massive star, one didn't become quite so big a star. And I just sat and thought, well, what must that be like yeah. from a character direction to be Lanny, knowing your brother was a big star? And Lanny was a bit of, a, a bit of an audible, a bit of a character. <laughs> um, very he funny. Was a yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah. And it's like you look at it and think, well, he's given his takes on things, but it's like sort of, what must it be like to have a brother who's more sort of successful than you and um, yeah. more prominently featured than you? And you be the guy that sort of gets left behind what must it be like to be the, not necessarily the Genetti of the group, but sort of the lesser of, and then, uh, then you sort of you yeah. sort of work in that and then sort of think, well, if you throw other things in. If you make one character gay mm-hmm. in 1980, which in professional wrestling, which well, that wouldn't exactly yeah, no have been go. approved, yeah. you know, and you make him the better of the two, basically. And then you go with the idea that while he's the better of the two, he doesn't even like wrestling. He just likes, the male on male aspect of it in a different uh you know aspect and then you've got the other guy who loves wrestling but isn't that good at it and so yeah. you, you got that's what sort of it then, then at that point you're off to the races you're cooking because you're thinking well you've got conflict here from the very off you know and it's just sort of yeah
0: know. no i get it i totally and right? i think that was the kind of decision for mine as well because hmm. i went for twin sisters who turn on each other through publishing each other's diaries and i had to take a really good two shoes girl and turn her bad because that was how that story would work and i was lucky i had ross um a friend of mine who was able to kind of give me some guidance on what a higher upper class english family would be like and then i was able to work with joe as as my co-writer to kind of get and gleam from him how the shards might fit together because i'm the same as you i'm a movie in my head kind of chick so it was that was a very interesting experience for me so when you come to write what's your chosen technique what is the technique that you use the most
2: um how do you mean because my whole process is no distractions yeah, you know, no, um, I was going
0: to say that. Um, so it's yeah. it's like, what do you do to stop yourself from procrastinating? What's your? Do you use a word goal site to keep you accountable? Do you? Do you find that there's other um, things that will draw you in that will make it harder for you to get your writing done?
2: Well, I'll um, I'll do. It. I'll sort of. I kind of um, I, I've had a lot of different jobs over the years where I've dealt mainly with the public. You know, um, everything from security guard to bartender to, you know, you know, litter picker, for, you know, for Christ's sake. I've done every, there's not a job out there I've not done where I've been working with the public and talking to the public. And when you work with the public, you get ideas just by sort of what people say. There's a funny one. It's like uh, the other day, it was two days ago, I'm in McDonald's and there's a young couple having a barmy, you know, having a right sort of and the right argument about something yeah complete and and the guy to and i'm sort of i'm listening in i'm with a friend i'm sort of listening and i'm like oh this is is interesting i can't i can't what they're arguing about they're really laying strips The guys really laying into her and he just turns around and says like anyone in here could be an author right now they could be listening to us taking notes and wind us up in a book is that what you want to happen sweetheart because that's what could happen and i'm thinking shit it's on to me
0: i know i (laughs) get that same feeling like when you're sitting there you're like oh shit do they know I'm here? Is this a phantom bind? You know, like, like I, I get that feeling too, where you're like, ah, oh, pull the hat down, sink down, just,
2: yeah, you know, just quietly withdraw back into the chair and just look at my coffee and don't, don't, yep. don't make eye contact.
0: Yep, you I've know. definitely been there. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like weird. Like I've had so many strange fan interactions that, yeah you almost kinda of get to that point where you're used to the certain level of weirdness mm. from fans and you kinda yeah. roll with it. Whereas mine will run up, they'll hug me, they'll be very kind of affectionate. And that to me is is not me. No. I literally pull away from that. I'm like, uh ah, I'm the quiet girl who likes to go home and game and hang out with her friends on Discord and just um you know have that no. quiet place for myself. Gamers, if you're looking for a Discord channel to follow, the server that you all need to check out is the drop-dead server on Discord. Yeah. You can find it by searching us. But it's,
1: sure.
0: it's a lot of fun. And especially with, like, when you're a writer, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. Because communication yeah. and conversation and hearing other people's conversations helps you build what you need to build for your yeah. scenes. And it gives you that ability to have a fresh perspective on people. Um sure. so yeah, that's my that's my absolute treat at the end of the day, or first yeah. thing in the morning is getting on with them guys and just being like, Hey, I need to game, I need to get this stress out, can we do it? Yeah. And then being like, Yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what about uh... you? What's
0: your, your sort of I call it cool down period or, or chill out period?
2: Well it's um No, yeah, I, I... I don't want i breaking breaking podcast kayfabe right now by admitting that I actually have a real job. And I'm not just a full-time writer living in some big Los <laughs> no, Angeles worry, mansion K-Pip right K-Pip now. don't does you not know, exist on this yeah, show. You're just, fine. Like, I, don't, I don't, don't know if I'm breaking rules here or not, but I do actually work a full-time job. I am a working class guy. I'm, I'm actually a son of a plumber, just like Dusty, as it goes. But yeah. it's the thing. Um, I do work full-time. I am a nine-to-fiver. I'm sorry if that cost me book sales or whatever but it, but it's the no, truth. It shouldn't uh,
0: it shouldn't actually you know. find people who respect you more for it because the balanced life of that i mean i was i was a ninety five sure. I worked in a school, so balancing your writing career and your
1: your mm.
0: well, i call it real world responsibilities yeah. you're really really tough, it can be very draining it can be very difficult, uh, so I think Anyone who has any knowledge of publishing, any knowledge mm. of fiction or any knowledge of the industry whatsoever will
1: yeah. be
0: more respectful, I think, hearing that you yeah. still work a nine to five job and you mm. still put in the hours and you still do everything that you need to do.
2: No, it's it's the thing. It's it's not just nine to five. I can't go into details because it's a government job, but yeah. it's not just nine yeah. to five. In, but usually what happens is I finish work and then I go straight to gym for two hours and yeah, then course, yeah. lift and that helps me get a lot of aggression out and keeps me yeah. all nice and zen then i'll get in i'll get i'll have food i'll get on PlayStation for an hour or two with my friends we'll put the world to rights for a bit yep and okay. rolls. and um then i'll do some writing for a good maybe hour and a half a night basically but it's it's that period of sort of like right it's about you know i've got got, got work tomorrow so okay. i've got a little period here a little wiggle room here to do something so it's yeah. It's blue tack on clocks. It's block out the world. It's lights off. It's curtains closed. Yep. You can hear a pin drop in here when I'm writing, basically, and it's just <laughs> isolate and crack on. That's the thing. It is. It's uh, because it's so easy to get distracted in today's world because there's just yeah. so much, you know, to entertain you. know, and it's just. I
0: always you know, say it's instant
1: gratification.
2: It is. I can go on Netflix alone and just watch trailers, and two hours have passed before I even settle down to watch something.
1: If
2: yeah you're watching i've been there too yeah so, you know, it's easy to do that i
0: find yeah and i think that's a really good example to you know inspiring writers you know
2: mm.
0: find ways that works for you that allows you to get your time in that allows you to mm. structure your life and structure the stuff mm. that you need to do in such a way that
1: yeah. you
0: don't miss writing time you don't miss Doing no. things that's important for your career because one day your books might take off and you, you don't have to go to the government job. You can stay home, write, and, and do your thing. Um, mm. And that's kind of what I like to tell writers is that maybe right now it seems like you're fighting this huge dunghill and you're rolling this ball up mm. there. But when you get to the top and you finally make it to that like le- ledge, it's the most amazing mm. feeling in the world. Did you have that kind of high when you published your book and you held it in your hands for the first time?
2: Yeah, the, the first time I got the book here, and yeah. it, this is the thing, it's like, um, it's, uh, I, I, I had a sort of poor education, basically. So,
0: same, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, it's like, um, I'm reading it, I, I couldn't even read it now because I've got a it's just you look back now and you think christ my english is so bad here you know and it's uh
0: i was the same uh yeah uh, i can't dear. i can't read my old stuff because i as soon as i start i'm like oh that needs edited oh i need to that. Yes. get rid of that oh i want to add this in um so the publishers yeah. actually banned me from going back in to read old stuff yeah she's like nope up... she says i'll do your edits just you leave it alone because she knows you I'll end, end up doing like uh... for six months and then stick my head back up again and she's like no no we're not doing this this is how we're doing it <laughs>
2: 'Cause you end up doing a George Lucas basically, re re re, re releasing everything with more bloody TIE fighters everywhere and more bloody yeah. and gimmicks and shit. But it's it's just it's the thing. Um when I first got the book back, I was like, Okay, this is uh this is something, you know, it's pr- it's pretty cool. Um yeah. I think I read it back to back page page by page twice over that's and then cool. i noticed i felt turbulence wrong on the front cover and i was like oh for fuck's sake you know
1: so <laughs> change the front yeah. cover because
2: you've turbul turbulence instead of turbulence and it's like okay right change that yeah but um i know it's like sort of it's like a bit of a taboo thing to say anything good about chat gp these days because that's the devil uh for writers but i put everything through chat gp and got it re-edited into english recently you know um and got it fixed because i found it a lot better than grammarly yeah,
1: and also with chat so gp like yeah
2: oh god it's amazing so like, I, I put things through and i'm sort of like I, i'd basically like what is I'd, I'd basically ask a question what is the author trying to convey here and it was sort of like basically you know give me like an endless like monologue of what i was, what I was trying to convey. it's like yeah that was right okay quite, okay so i got it right because there is mm-hmm. it's horrible thing when you're sort of second guessing yourself and with all this and yeah
0: and uh, and authors um, we all do that it's called the yeah, uh impersonate yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome
2: we are we're we are masochists authors yes you know, we are, to,
1: yeah.
2: we'll google our own name 300 times a day you know and we'll we'll check every review and we'll panic over it. i got a bad review a while back won't mention names cause that's unprofessional yeah it wasn't a bad bad review it was like a three out of five review and well, i felt thought that.
0: that. i would say that's middle of the park you know
2: yeah but, but it, it was i always one say people
0: don't read the bad reviews because you're just gonna blow your own career up yeah. doing that but you
2: know if, any, if anyone yeah. reviews my books if you if you give me a bad review by all means give me a bad review but i'm going to email you about it and ask you endless questions because yeah, of i can't course. i've got I've, i need feedback and i need criticism and i need yeah. evaluation so it's like be prepared to get endless emails from me either do it anonymously or expect an email, and expect me to hound you with emails until you either block me, or change the review, or give me the feedback I'm asking for. But I'm, yeah. I'm very blessed because I work with a um, an old, uh, I work with an old actor who uh, played a stormtrooper in Star Wars. And wow! He's a very, very, very bright man by the name Ralph Morse, who's um, uh, he's he, he's been a bit actor for like since the seventies.
0: Yeah, I knew him. And he used
2: to be head of used to be head of drama at a um, university. Yeah. And uh, I basically sent a book to him a while back. I sent my first book to him a while back and said, "Ralph, can you just read my book and just? I know it's a lot to ask because it's my writing's terrible yeah. and it's um, you know grammatically terrible. You know, it's 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 a lot to ask, and um, you know, it's a lot to ask a friend, basically. And he said, "Sure, send over." And he sent me back. Oh, it was just Facebook messages, but God, it, it, when printed out, it came to, I think, 30 pages worth of everything wow. from technique to, you know, language to, yeah. you know, pacing to every single minute detail. And I printed that out and I called it Professor Ralph's Literary Manifesto. And it's yeah. something, that's my Bible basically. I'll check that every day Yeah. because he did not, it was one thing that he didn't need to do. You know, he's someone I work with. He's not someone, yeah, that course. was close. We're close now, but um, yeah,
1: he didn't like need to do he that, heard, and yeah.
2: he'd be probably put off by the fact I'm mentioning this, or probably humbled actually. But um, because he didn't need to do that, and he did, and that has been more help for me than, than anything because
1: yeah,
0: critical I've, I've feedbacks got a, a hard. Word. I've got a wrestling buddy that does this to me, and <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> humbled is really the good word, like, I'll get maybe, yeah. yeah. You did a really good job. But, and I know the butt's coming. Yeah, so I'm trying to hold on to that little good start of the sentence because I know what the it's but's going to be. You know, and it'll be, but you've yeah. got a plot hole the size of a Mac truck, and this is where it is, and this is how yeah. you've done it, and this is how you fix it. And I'm like, yeah. God damn it. I paid for an editor. I'm like, how oh, is this an issue? Yeah.
2: So yeah. It's humbling, but it's humbling. It's humbling in an iron-chic fashion, isn't it? It's not a nice yeah. humbling. It, yeah.
0: yeah, It's a yeah.
2: Brian B. Blair humbling, basically.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I, I work with Joe, so Joe will, you know, he'll read the um, the feedback, and then he mm. comes in and he goes, oh, I thought that! And
1: I'm like, and you didn't say anything? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Throw the book at him. <laughs> of, strong, cause... You know?
2: Because it's always and... sort of, a weird thing, because most people won't give you genuine feelings. They'll, they'll try and spare your feelings to say it's nice. or yeah, just give you course. platitudes and stuff. But you kind of want sort of, I just say be as brutal as possible. I can take it basically.
0: You know? Yeah. See, I don't say so that to, to my friend more... because if I said that to my friend, I would be in the corner in a ball howling my eyes out. Yeah. So yeah. I say to him, give me the edited version of your notes yeah. on it. And then yeah. that way I know I can cope with them. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah but it's just getting any kind of feedback because yeah. it's i, I know a friend I knew, I knew someone years ago uh who used to make these films and stuff and they were they weren't great movies but anytime he got a bad review he just thought like, oh they're just jealous they're just jealous they're just nobody's. they're jealous and it's like well that doesn't help anyone
1: no, so you
2: kind of need that critical feedback I find.
0: yeah and you do and I, that's what i've learned like I hate reviews. I hate reading reviews. So Joe will go read them first, because he's more laid back than I am. And he'll come back Mm. and he'll say, oh, we've got some good ones and some not so good ones. And Mm. then he'll lay out like the what I would call the critique part, the bit that we all need to know. And then there's almost that gap of, right, okay, well this is the good stuff that people are noticing that we're doing. And it helps Mm. to balance it. And that's something that I always say to New writers, if you know you can't read a bad review without losing it, get your friends, get a friend who you trust to sit down and make notes off of the bad reviews and Hmm. give you their notes. And that's where your critiquing comes in and that's how you can develop to move forward. And also, if you get somebody else to do it and then sit down and talk about it with you, you're getting to talk it through. But you're also not going to blow up your own career by jumping on somebody and being like, ah, why did you say that? So (laughs) it's a good safety net for you know new writers out there that are trying to find their chops and trying to figure out how to you know how to do all this kind of stuff. So that would be my tip top tip for uh, this week. So if your guys are wondering, um, I'm going to be starting to do this on a weekly basis where I will try and come up with new top tips on uh, writing technique that will really help those of you who are budding new writers that are coming into the industry what would be your best piece of advice that you either got given with your book or that you've learned yourself
2: um uh, just do the work basically yeah, exactly. it's, it's it's the thing that there won't as not one sentence of my books will be written unless i actually do it so it's do the work exactly. you know yeah. You know, delay gratification, delay nights out, delay friends, delay the whole thing, you know, just do the damn work basically. Because I I'm guilty of not doing that, you know. Yeah, you know, it's think easy it's to sort. Unless you
0: sacrifice is what I always say. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's like what I've what have enjoyed about the gym, I've been going now for the past three months. What I've enjoyed about that is, you know, you can't cheat the gym is what I like basically. No, and you, you can't, can't cheat right now. <laughs> I, okay, you okay, I could I could go right now and say, right, uh Chat GP, write me real in wyoming basically and it, i'll have a book by the end of the weekend but it will be absolute pish so yeah you know, it, it exactly. won't be a good book basically so, and i wouldn't i wouldn't dare put it up for sale anywhere yeah but yeah um there's no way of cheating with writing there's no way of cheating with fiction and there shouldn't be either so just yeah. do the damn work crack on and study
0: study your craft in. know what you're writing exactly. know what you're trying to write Know the audiences. That's always what I say. Like, if you know what you're trying to put your book into, or you know the world you're trying to get it to fit into, you'll stand a far better chance doing that than you will Mm -hmm. if you just throw shit at a wall and hope it sticks.
2: Exactly. And you're never too old, you know. You're never too never too late to start this. You know. You don't have a physical prime for these things. You know. You look at Cormac McCarthy. He's got to be in his nineties now. He's still going strong. Put out a book this year. So. Just keep going, keep cracking, keep believing. That's the one. Like Journey said, don't stop believing.
0: I like that. It's a good, a good way to end the uh, podcast. Steve, it's been amazing to have you on. I can't uh-huh. wait for book two, and I'm really looking forward to book three. And what we'll do is we'll have you back for the upcoming launch of book three, whenever that okay. may be.
1: And okay,
0: sure. uh, so, yeah, guys, check back in next week as we've got another cracking surprise guest. And we're going to have a few bestsellers coming on in the next few months. You're not going to want to miss this. So check back again on Mondays for your next dose of the Book and Life podcast.